the founder of New Paradigm Multidimensional Transformation, or the energies of Shambhala, on Earth at this time is John Armitage, also called Harry Daspada. John was born in England in 1945, moving early on with his family to Ireland. Being the prototype for the later so-called indigo children, he had a lot of trouble in school. His brain was not yet up to learn, um, learning in conventional ways, and his spirit rebelled at the constriction of formal education. He also had a stammer that made public speaking difficult. He was familiar with multidimensional beings and spoke with them from a very early age. He also spent three and a half years in India during his teens, studying to be a Brahmin. His guru once told John that John had been his guru in his last lifetime, and that the ashram that they were staying in at the time was actually John's temple. So here, in his own words, is how John developed into the founder of New Paradigm Multidimensional Transformation. When I was young, I never actually spoke until I was around seven years old. My sister used to do all the talking for me. She always knew what I wanted. When she got older and grew fed up with it, my younger sister took over. After a while, she got fed up too, so I had to speak for myself. When I got to speak for myself, I realized I couldn't speak anyway, not in any proper way. I couldn't speak one word without stammering, seriously, seriously stammering. The first time I learned to speak without stammering was when I learned the sacred language Hebrew. When I was living in Israel, I found that I could speak Hebrew without stammering. As soon as I had to speak English, I'd stammer all over again on every word. Also as well, when I was in school, I couldn't read or write. So later on, I taught myself to read because I thought that would be a useful thing. I worked on teaching myself to read, in fact. I'm still learning to write, as anyone who takes an email off of me will understand. Really, in many ways, I am still learning to write. As the years go on, went on, and I did more and more traveling, more and more so-called spiritual things, I spent time in countries where people didn't speak my language. That meant I didn't have to speak to anybody. I didn't speak their language. They didn't speak mine. Perfect. We all hit it off just great, <laughs> and we just hung out. When I was around 28, I started to get guidance. I must say, I've had guidance ever since I was a small baby. I've known about the angels and masters and everything else. And I'd been healing with my hands and all the rest of it. But when I was around 28, I started to get guidance on how to control stammering. I still stammer now and then, but I've learned how to control it. What I do is, if I ever, if I ever sit there and I'm going, uh, 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 then you know that I've shut my brain down temporarily so that everything goes into neutrality, into neutral. Everything will just catch back together again, and then I can continue. That's how I learned how to do it. So when I was 28... I started to integrate how to start to control the stammer. Then it came time for my first experiences in public life, which meant I had to speak. When I was in my late teens living in India with a bunch of 
sadhus, often they give philosophical discourse, worship deities, whatever. My thing was to give people healing. That's how I uh, earned my rice every day. Sometimes we'd go to places and three, four, or even five hundred people would come. I never had to say anything. So then came this time I knew I would have to speak publicly. I didn't quite know how that would manifest. I always knew from when I was a small child that by doing some kind of thing or other I would help people to make changes in their lives. But I didn't know what it was. I was brought up as a Christian. My father was a preacher. In my early teens, I used to wonder how I would get on at the college where I would study to be a minister and how I would serve with that stammer. I mean, I used to think I would be a bishop or something. One day, I was walking along the street in a town called Westensure-Mare, a Victorian seaside town. I saw this sign, First National Spiritualist Church. I thought, that's interesting. And Chang, my major guide since childhood, who I later found out is really Lao Tzu, said to me, why don't we go in there? Yeah, all right. So I walked in, and there were people sitting there with a platform up front. I sat down in the back. No one noticed when I walked in. I had hair down to below my shoulders, frizzed out, bell-bottom jeans and everything. There was a lady up there who said she was going to demonstrate the continuity of life. She was going to do some clairvoyance. Immediately, she opened her eyes and looked at me and said, You! I wondered, what's going on here? She said, You! You aren't going to acknowledge me? I said, Yeah, okay. So then she started telling me in front of the whole church some of the things that were going to happen to me in the future. Also as well, about some of my family. One of my grandfathers was actually what I would call a grassroots herbalist. He was also into healing in his own way. She said he was hanging around me. Afterwards, I was trying to get out of the door. By then, I was totally anti-church and all that kind of thing with the exposure I'd had as a youngster. An elderly lady came up and said, Nice to see you. I've actually been waiting three Sundays for you to arrive. We always have tea and biscuits afterwards. Would you like to have some tea? So I did. She invited me to join a special group they had it soon became clear that the reason I'd been brought into the church was to go through some kind of training. I was assigned to this elderly lady as a pupil. She became my guru for a time. She was in her 60s. What she told me was that I'd been chosen by the masters to bring messages to the people of Earth. She reinforced a lot of things I'd known since I was a small boy, but I still didn't see how I was going to do it because every time I opened my mouth, I stuttered. She said, that doesn't matter. We can get around that. So there I was within a couple of classes channeling. She said I was ready for my first public channeling. I told her I could give a good sermon. My mother writes great sermons, and I thought I could ask her to write one for me. But I said, who's going to take care of the clairvoyance? She said, it's all right, love. I'll take care of it. So I turned up the next Sunday and found myself on the platform. I gave my sermon without stammering too much. I asked her, who is going to do the clairvoyance? And she, and she said, you are. I said, you said you'd take care of it. And she said, I have. 
So me, I'm freaked out. I'd smoked a few spliffs just to get me through it, but they didn't seem to make any difference. I still felt freaked out. I thought, shit, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. So I thought I'd just get up and say I couldn't do it. I stood up and was about to open my mouth and say, sorry about this, when I looked out and saw all these etheric beings. This is really cool, I thought. That must have been some good stuff. <laughs> just joking. Then Chang told me, okay, boy, let's go for it. Just open your mouth. So I opened my mouth and I couldn't stop for about a half hour. What I realized was if I surrendered to the process, then it was easy. After that, I found myself for the next two years, every Sunday, in a different part of England on the circuit. Then I worked out that I could channel my sermons as well and that, was, that it was dead easy to do. After a few years, I realized it wasn't taking me anywhere, and that wasn't what I wanted to do. I found the philosophy very restrictive. My guru, God bless her, she only had knowledge from book two and a half or so, and I was looking for knowledge from books five to, five to ten. When I'd ask her about something she didn't have any experience of or couldn't uh, tune in on, she'd tell me it wasn't relevant and don't do it. I was getting information from other places saying, come on, Das, work on this. I'd also been facilitating a lot of healing, and I used to get a lot of information when I was doing this. Then I decided to stop public channeling. As the years went by, I was doing research on crystals, homeopathy, and oil. I channeled a thesis on homeopathy from Chang Lao Tzu, author of the Tao Te Ching. That's the way you get degrees. Me, I know nothing about homeopathy, and I've got a bachelor degree. I don't need to know anything because I know a man who does. So I was working with all of that stuff, a bit of channeling, ashtar, and small groups, but I never thought I'd channel to large groups. One day, Sananda came to me. Right then, I'm going to be the next one you're working with, he said. I said, I'm not sure I'm ready to channel you, Jesus. And he said, how long are you going to keep insisting you can't do it? How long are you going to go on reinforcing the block? So I said, give me something I can work with to help resolve this block. He said, okay, every night before you go to sleep, affirm, Sananda, I am worthy of channeling you. He said, I already know that you're worthy of channeling me, so you're not trying to convince me. You've got to convince your subconscious mind that you're worthy. One of these days, I'm going to come and knock on your door, and you'll just open your mouth and everything will work. So that's what I did for the next month or so. Every night before I went to bed, I said, Sananda, I am worthy of channeling you. I just tell you this story to, shore up, um, to share with you something of my own path of channeling. When I tell you these things, I don't see myself as a teacher. I see myself as a person who can share his life experiences with others, experiences that might, just might, give them the inspiration to go forward. Just get over the judgment you have of yourselves. If you have these blockages somewhere deep in your psyche that you're not worthy of channeling the masters or whatever, just start making the affirmations that you are. Here in the New Paradigm MDT family, some say to me, Well, Baba, we only work with a limited number of multidimensional masters. In fact, we don't work with a limited number of them. 
but for ease we just name a few of them. People become familiar with those names and learn to tune in on the energy of the names. So that's the reason why we only seem to work with a limited number of the masters. Also, as well, I have had resistance to working with some masters. Once in a workshop, a woman said to me, Das, what a fantastic channeler you are. You've inspired so many people in this workshop to channel. Do you ever work with the master Elmoria? And I said, Elmoria? Never. I would not work with him if he was the last master in the whole of creation. <laughs> she said, why? Das, you are being judgmental. And I said, no, just standing in my own power. I won't work with him. He's not my kind of person. He's a disciplinarian. He's serious as hell. I'm not into discipline. I'm into laughter, spontaneity, looning out. <clears throat> Me and him, we just don't hit it off, okay? So he can get on his seriousness and I can get on with my fun. A month or, <clears throat> a month or so later, there's a letter from Holland which says, What a fantastic workshop, Das. How much I love the energy and everything else. P.S. Amoya told me to tell you that he can be as much of a disciplinarian as you want him to be. When I read that, I laughed. So our relationship started to change then. He used the woman to send me the information that he loves me and that I can work with him however I want. A fantastic message of encouragement and empowerment. It kind of loosened me up. I just tell you that to show that uh, show you that we can also block ourselves in so many other ways. The whole thing is to start making the affirmations. I am now worthy to start channeling the lords and ladies of Shambhala. I am now worthy and willing to channel the multidimensional masters. <clears throat> in the early days, I was getting everything short of death threats from a Reiki organization and all those kind of people in Europe and Britain and I was really fed up. I was thinking, well, I won't bother to do it. As they say in English sang, slang, I was really on one. One day I'm driving along the freeway in Germany. Since there are no speed limits in Germany, I'm doing about 120. Got my stereo banging away and my phone goes, hello, Yogi, this is Katumi. What the F do you want? Was my reply. My friend, there's a cer certain things that you're not listening to, aren't there? <clears throat> well, what are you doing? What are you doing calling me up on my cell phone? After a bit of snappy bad temperedness, I said, Well, okay. What have you got to tell me? And Kuthumi said, You didn't come to Earth to be the most popular person. Remember that. When you start doing things that people aren't used to, sometimes people get mad at you. There's no problem. Ann Hughes, who channels Katumi, was one of the people who helped to keep everything moving along. One time I was with her, taking a walk, and I asked Katumi through her, What's this system all about? I was still on about the trouble I was having with the Reiki people. And he said, You haven't realized, have you, that at this time, at this stage, what this is about is connecting people with their I am presence, getting people to find out who and what they really are, allowing people to connect with their guidance. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll keep going with that then. Whereas if he'd said, it's all to do with Reiki, Das, I would have said, okay, then that's it, I'm out of here. Since the mid-1990s, John has traveled around the world teaching and activating people to the energies of Shambhala. 
He has been to Iceland, Indonesia, Australia, Mexico, the Congo, Gambia, Cambodia, South Africa, Israel, Egypt, Ireland, Tibet, China, Spain, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Romania, and other places throughout Europe and the USA. Presently, he resides uh, in Bulgaria.